the last two verses. And as we finish this up today, uh, next Sunday is the beginning of Advent. We'll be starting our first uh, message in Advent. And people are, you know, already I said, see people saying, how did it get here so fast? <laughs> and uh, so uh, as we finish this book up, just uh, looking at the reality, James has pointed out so many different things to us as growing as a body together, ministering one to another. His key thought was uh, that, that we'd be doers of the Word, not just hearers. And uh, that even comes through here in these last two verses. Uh, let's read the verses uh, 19 and 20. James writes, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from, the wandering, from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Father, we come as we open Your Word. We ask through Your Holy Spirit You'd open our hearts and our minds to receive what You have for us today. And Lord, we just don't, we just don't want to open Your Word as a matter of, of habit of it's what we do on Sunday morning, but we open it with an intent to ask, Lord, that You change our lives. In Jesus' name, Amen. Verse 19 starts off with the idea of of uh, my brothers. And uh, he's done this multiple times through this book. What he's doing is he's speaking to those who are fellow believers. Now, some have limited it to the fact that it's fellow believers who are from the Jewish culture. And there's some indication in the beginning of the, of the book that that could be the case. But when we say fellow believers, it also includes all of us ever since then as well. And so, all who are believers in Christ, this is, a, is for us. Uh, and, and what a believer is, what a brother in, in, in Christ, and, I, and somebody says, what about sisters? Yes, it, 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 brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, you recall, and, and it, just as I had become a, a believer, and, and, and they used to, you know, we were in a church where it was, we say brother and sister around here. <laughs> and there was a song from the Gaithiers that went along with that. And uh, it would be brother Bob, brother George, brother, you know, sister so-and-so, you know. And uh, the idea is, is that we are family. And while that has, some, for whatever reason, got moved by the wayside, we are brothers and sisters, children in Christ, children of the kingdom of God, and we are family. And that's what James is emphasizing every time he says, brothers. He says we're, we're, we're one who share, if you will, an attitude of mutual life uh, uh, beliefs. And so he's writing, just this most important thing, he's writing or speaking to believers. And then he says, anyone among you. And literally he means anyone. So it's not like, by the way, the elders among you, or the deacons among you, or it's anyone, any believer that's listening to this, any believer that's reading this, uh, you know, he's speaking to any among you who wanders. And you just you stop there and think, what does he mean by wanders? And this word is used in a couple of ways, but both of them uh, following the same thought. Uh, wanders could be where you've encountered something or some influence that has caused you to stray or something that is leading you away 
or causing you to stumble. Okay, that's and, and that's one thing in a way of looking at wandering. Somebody who's being drawn away, and 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 the other one is uh, one who has gone astray to make about. And, and, and the idea really here is to move about aimlessly as though lost. Not sure how to get back. Off course. Uh, one uh, put it, uh, lose sight of the shore. And uh, Charles, uh, Chuck Swindoll has a, a, a illustration that he uses about uh, someone that shared with him that being on a, uh, out in the ocean... And, uh, and, and having problems, and all his friends uh, sitting on the beach saying, Well, swim, dummy! You know, <laughs> this type of thing. Get in here, get in here, you're gone too far out. Well, he, was, uh, he needed help. He didn't need to be told what to do. He needed someone to come and rescue him. I don't know if you've ever had a situation like that in your life. But when I was uh, 12 years old, uh, I was went to uh, YMCA. Uh, they had a day camp, and one of the things that we did living in Santa Barbara was, you know, the beach was a, a common activity. Well, one time we got to bus down to Malibu to Surfers Beach, okay. And of course, we couldn't take surfboards with us or anything. But back then, body surfing was something that was very popular, and most of the kids knew how to do that. And but but the beach there in Malibu is one of these places, the reason why they call it Surfer's Beach is because of the way it's arranged in such a way that the waves come from an angle and they go from way out. And you can get a very long ride. Well, the thing is, is that to swim out, well, for whatever reason, the sets were coming further and further out. It was moving the, the away. And so you get a longer and longer ride. And after you've done that for a while, you're, you don't realize you're, you know, 12 years old, you're not thinking about getting tired. And so you're swimming, and you see another one coming that's bigger, better, so you swim a little further and you swim a little further. All of a sudden, you're there, and, and you're, you've run out of steam. That's exactly what happened. I looked back at the shore, and I thought, oh, my goodness, what am I going to do? And I, I, try, you know, I started trying to float, <laughs> you know, and, and uh, the wave crashes over you and tumbles you and all this kind of stuff, and wasn't sure what was going to happen, and I was quite a distance away. And you think about this at this point. If I had ever told my parents, they never let me go back to YMCA. Where are the where are the leaders? Where are the sponsors? Where you know are they paying any attention? Then all of a sudden, there's a paddleboard that comes up alongside me, and a guy grabs a hold of me, and I, I had a, a sleeveless shirt on. He grabbed a hold of me by the back of my shirt and pulled me up, and he said. I've been watching you for a while. I knew I'd be out here before long. And, and he got me up on his board and he brought me back into shore. And he rescued me. And I can't help but relate that to this kind of a feeling. Where you've, you've been in the faith. We're talking about people that are believers. He's writing to believers who have been in the faith, who have had circumstances of some kind that have come along that have either drawn them away or caused them to walk away from the faith that they live. And I'm not talking about abandoning faith as much as just in a sense of confusion. Just not sure you know, what's going on. Not sure that, you know, uh, I, I, I'm sure people in here, maybe some of you have had that point in time where you're saying, well, if this is Christianity, I don't know what I, whether I want it or not. Because of maybe some split in the church over the carpet or some silly thing like that. Those things happen. You know, 
uh, you know, and, and, and the reality is, and I recall my, one of my teachers in, in, in Bible college saying, you know, uh, about going to church, he, you know, he made the joke. He said, church would be, from a leader's point of view, from a pastor's point of view, he said, church would be great if it weren't for the people. You know, uh, we all come with our different personalities, our different things, and, and, and sometimes there's friction, and sometimes you wonder, do I really want all of this? And the answer is, is that it doesn't matter where you go, that exists. And why does it exist? Because we live in a fallen world and we live in fallen flesh. And we have human flesh that desires to be served. We'll get into that in a minute. So, anyone among you that wanders or strays away, loses sight of the shore, uh, you know, you, you, you begin to, to, to have that feeling that I'm, I'm, I'm just lost. Kind of a defeated feeling. What am I going to do? Everything I was thinking over here this way. You know, I mean, for some people, the idea was, well, when I become a Christian because of the way it was presented to them, hunky-dory in the way to glory. That's Stuart Briscoe's phrase, not mine. And, uh, and, and the idea is, is, you know, I, I'm, you know, everything is going so well. And there's been seasons of that in my life, especially early in my Christian walk. That was so exciting because there were so many things going on and learning so much. Uh, and and, and it, was, it was a great time. But there's also been times in my life where I, I, there's been difficulties. And you, you sit back and you think, boy, this is really hard. I'm, I'm not sure I want this. Or if I want, or the idea is that I'm done sitting in the front row being a participant. I want to go sit in the back row and, and be quiet. You know, and, and, you know, that was kind of the, the attitude I had going through school. Was you know, Up until I was in my high school years, I, I sat in the back row where I could goof around and not pay attention. You know, and... and, and People were content with leaving you there. We've got to be careful as a church. Be observant. Is there anybody that you know or you can think of that maybe has uh, swam out too far and is in over their head and needs somebody to come out and rescue? And sometimes it's just to come alongside and say, hey, how are you doing? And be sincere. Want to know. You know, how many times do we do and say, hi, how are you, and walk away? Maybe somebody was ready to give an answer and thought, oh. <laughs> you know? So, uh, someone you know, comes out and he brings this wanderer back. The idea of the bringing this wanderer back, uh, some of your, your, your uh, versions say to convert. Uh, bad translation because of the way we understand convert, but the idea is to turn Something around another direction. And so the idea of bring him back, turn him back, return him back, lead him back, come alongside and escort him back. Okay, that's the idea. And to make this happen, it's going to require, if it's something that God has put you in a position where you can see it, you know what's going on, now you have become responsible to do something. And the, the something is to reach out. I don't know what to say. I've been a pastor for 30 plus years. And I don't know what to say. Because it's never the same thing twice. There's always something a little bit. And, and sometimes some things sound so trite. You know, everything works out to good for those who, who are in Christ Jesus. And, and, and 
There's a time for that verse and there's a time where maybe you hold that verse back for another moment. You know, but, but the idea is that you know, we know that to be true. And so when we reach out, we reach out with the idea that God wants to see this person back to full strength and back to health, spiritually speaking. Someone brings him back. So we have this picture. Brothers, anyone among you wanders, you know, and someone brings him back. That's where we, we are at this point. He says in verse 20, then let him know. Whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering, okay, and the word wandering, same word here, uh, and the same idea of, of, of let him know. Whoever, the word whoever is the same as someone in the other verse. So it's, it's, again, it's not the pastor, the elders. It's whoever God has opened his eyes to the need. Brings back. Uh, will save his soul. From death. Now, some have interpreted this, uh, the idea of saving the soul from death, uh, as the idea of, of uh, you know, turning someone uh, uh, around and, and first time conversion. That's not what James isn't writing here to, to people that are non believers. He's writing to believers. So, this is a spiritual death that he's talking about, spiritual agony, if you will. The pain is like death. And I know some believers who have experienced things in, in, in congregations over the years, some of it because of their own doing, some of it because they didn't understand what was going on, and some of it because of, 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 of inconsiderateness of other people. And they feel the agony of almost like it's, it's like being separated from your family. It's like a sense of death. But I know that it's talking about spiritual here because it says, we'll save his soul. <laughs> Okay, so we're talking about the idea of, 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 of spiritual pain and suffering. Uh, and, and, and if you bring him back, you're saving his soul from this, this agony or this suffering that's like death. And you'll cover a multitude of sins. And the idea of a multitude of sins covered takes you to the Old Testament when it talks about these things as the idea of forgiveness and repentance. And again, if James is writing to a... a, 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 a messianic Jewish community, they would understand these, these phrases this way. That I'm being re- restored from agony back to joy I'm, I'm, and, 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 I, and as I repent, and, and, and for, I am forgiven. And that's a beautiful thing that we know in, in, our, in our walk with the Lord. He tells us absolutely. First John is one of the, the, my favorite places to go where it says, uh, if you if you think you don't have any sin, you're lying to yourself. <laughs> okay, so all of us have a, re- a struggle with sin, and he says, and if you do sin, and the if is 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 is, is rhetorical type if it means when you sin, <laughs> uh, then then you have a confidence that you have a savior who will rush in and save you, restore you. And when you confess your sin, He restores you to all righteousness. And then it goes on in chapter 2. That's the end of chapter 1 of 1 John. It says, you have an advocate before the throne. Christ is Jesus. Advocate is lawyer. It's a good word for lawyer. My lawyer is Jesus Christ. By the way, my judge is Jesus Christ. 
Now, if we were doing this in our culture today, we would say there's a conflict of interest. But in his sovereignty, he knows all and knows all that is right, so there can't be any conflict of interest. And the reality is is that he has bought me. He knows who I am. I'm a child of God. And as a result, he, he restores me to all righteousness. It wasn't that I lost my salvation, but I, lost, I had the agony of being separated from, from God. And it's like being dead and confused and, and wandering. And it's like you're wandering, maybe even the picture of wandering in a desert all alone. That's the way you might feel. Who do I talk to? And, in, and, and today we have some very bad concepts that have, have prospered and, 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 and come up through the last couple of decades, especially that in a sense, as Christians, we're to be hunky-dory on the way to glory. Well, uh, we show up to church with our smiles, and some people will say, you know, is that a real smile or a plastic smile? You know, this type of thing. And, and we're embarrassed to tell anybody that we're suffering. Because, I mean, we're a Christian. And, and, and again, it's kind of like the people on the shore. Don't you know? Just pray and, get a, and start reading the Word. You know, that, that might need to be what I need to do. But I need someone right now just to come along and sense, come alongside and encourage. Give me hope. Maybe share your experiences about wilderness, desert, deep ocean, whatever, and the times that you've felt through these things. Isn't it amazing when you start to think about it? God can use all the things that you go through, all the grief, all the sorrow, all the sadness, all the joys, all of those things. God does not waste anything. He brings it all to use. That's why He can write Romans 8.28. All things work together. It's hard to see how sometimes. And some of it I'm not going to see until we're face to face. And then I will see clearly instead of through a mirror dimly. Cover a multitude of sins, wandering, you know, and all of this will be, I'll be restored and, and, and things will go back to a, 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 a relationship where Christ is ministering to me. And I won't be the same person I was before. Don't want to be. People, some, have you ever had that feeling if I could only be just like this? And I, and I was thinking of a church that I was a part of in, in Southern California over in the valley. And, and they had these pictures of, of, of all down the hallway of, of great uh, you know, church meetings where there's three and 400 people and all these extended families and stuff. And they said, only if we could get back to there. And, and the thought that crossed my mind was something that, that a teacher, his name was Dallas Missouri, shared with me. And, and he says, all of that got you here, where you are. You don't want to repeat that. Why would you want to repeat everything that got you to where you are and you're miserable? <laughs> you need a fresh start. You need something new. You need a new normal. Okay, and so the idea is to seek God and realize He's taking us beyond where we've been in the process of all of this. Well, as I'm going through this, I have a number of of, of uh, music and worship tracks. I I, I still have a uh, one of those MP3 <laughs> players. <laughs> And I have a thing that you can still sit it in and it charges it and plays it. You know, and, and it's got all, you know, you can go through hymns. Yeah, yeah what's an MP3 player? Yeah, okay. I'll explain it to you later, Brad. Uh, yeah, but uh, it's amazing that I know that from my kid's point of view. Uh, 
but but my grandkids helped me program it. Um, the and and so I've got all these different things. And if I just want to listen to hymns, I've got a, a, a track that just a playlist that just plays the hymns. And and this is the Maranatha music hymns. Some of it's instrumental, and some of it's with their choir, the voice choirs. And one of the the songs is uh, uh, "Come Thou Fount." Okay, come thou fount of every blessing. That's as far as I go in singing. And um, the 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 words are are really quite amazing. I had no idea until this last week that there was ever even a controversy about this song. And uh, I'll show you why in a second here. It was written by a guy by the name by, by the name of of, of uh, Robert Robinson. And uh, I'll, I'll conclude that with a little story, a testimony of his that goes with this. But the song is, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Who's the fount? Christ of every blessing, all the things that He gives. We've sung a song already this morning thanking God for the blessings that He gives us. It's a parallel to that. Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, tune my heart to sing Thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet. Sung by uh, flaming tongues above. Praise the mount I'm fixed upon it. Mount of thy redeeming blood. Here I lift my Ebenezer. And as soon as you say that, everybody's going to Charles Dickens and saying, how does that have to do with this? You know, Ebenezer is a stone of blessing. Go to 1 Samuel chapter uh, uh, 7, verse tw- uh, 10, I think it is. And uh, right in that area. And, 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 and the prophet Samuel lifts up a stone as a reson- as, as to become a monument of the blessing of their victories in battle. And, so, and, and how God has seen them through and, and delivered them. So it's a stone of blessing. By the way, there are some people that actually uh, will go through a trial and thing and they'll actually take a stone and put it on their mantle as a reminder of God's deliverance. That's an Ebenezer. So, stone of blessing. Uh, hither by thy help I come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God. He to rescue me from danger interposed his precious blood. Now that's talking about initial salvation. Jesus sought me, brought me. Oh, to grace how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. And somebody's, you know, what's well, a fetter? Uh, it's, it's the same thing as a hobble. It's, it's to, something that goes around to slow you down and, and tie you to something or to keep you running away from something. So, in other words, hook me up with you, Lord, and, and, and draw me in. And then it says, Oh, grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Wait a minute, I've already been saved, but I still have a wandering heart according to this song. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O take and seal it, and seal it for thy courts above. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to wander. Prone to leave the God I love. Now, there's some people who say, but once you become a Christian, you're no longer prone to wander. You're prone to seek after Christ. I'm going to suggest to you that this is accurate. Scripture, several of them, talk about the fact that we are, are prone to look away from the Lord and, and we wouldn't need forgiveness ever again if that weren't the case. 
So John chapter 1, we could just throw it out. First John chapter 1, we could just throw it out. We wouldn't need it anymore. We're prone to wander. There's something in our nature, in our flesh, living in a fallen world, in, in what I, I'm, I, I, and again, I'm always, I, I preface this always saying carefully, Adamic flesh. <laughs> uh, flesh of Adam. And it's fallen, meaning it has all the desires of, of the fleshly needs to be satisfied. And some of those things, many of those things, are in conflict, conflict with our spiritual needs. And so there's a battle going on. And I believe Romans chapter 7 is very specific about that battle. It talks about it very clearly. Uh, Paul makes it uh, uh, an absolute uh, great picture here. I'm not going to read the whole section, but I'm just going to pick up at verse 21 of chapter 7. It says, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. When I want to do right, who's close at hand to see if he can redirect me? I believe in a literal Satan who is active in fighting against God. I believe there is spiritual warfare, according to Ephesians chapter 6, where I need to put on my armor to defend myself. And it tells me the, 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 the gospel armor and my, my, my helmet of, of salvation and my sword, the word. You know, all of these things need to be a part of, 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 of my, my being. And so there is a war going on. And so as I, as, as I come up to this, uh, as I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. In other words, this is what's right. And immediately in my flesh, I can turn around and say, ah, oh, but. I really have been avoiding the Word of God. I really need to get back to that. But I so like the morning show at 6 in the morning. I don't know if there's one called the morning show, but I'm sure it's something close to it. And, uh, and the idea is that I'm, I'm torn between the two. And, and the fact that I'm having that battle already tells me that maybe I've been slipping, drifting a little bit, in my reading the Word of God, or I wouldn't feel this conflict. Somebody says, how important is reading the Word of God? Please, it's not the, the idea of a mandate that I read so many pages a day or so many hours a day or so many chapters a, a read through the Bible in a year type of thing. Absolutely good things to do. Read through the Bible in a year. Not, you know, some of them say read, read a chapter of the Old Testament, then read a chapter from the New Testament, back and forth. Back. I suggest reading it straight through. If you're going to read the Bible in a year, you'll pick up things that you, you didn't realize. And, and, and we were instructed by a, a, a young man from Korea one time uh, that, that was looking for his relatives in the United States uh, because he'd become a Christian and, they, and they, he knew that they were still uh, not Christians and he wanted to come to the United States and witness to them. And uh, so he, he stayed uh, with some of uh, our people for a while. And... Uh, you know, he, he said, I'll be reading the Word and, and I'll be over here. And he said, oh my goodness, this goes with that. And it's just simply because he's reading the Word. Not because of a sermon, not because of a Bible study, but just simply reading it for the pleasure of reading it and realizing there's all things connected together. It's not really, it's, it's kind of almost a misnomer saying Old Testament, New Testament in some ways because it's all tied together. 
I just listened to the testimony, and interesting, it was on I-24. I don't know how many of you get the, the, the Israel chapter, Channel 24 news, but this was, it's, a, it's, it's Israel's base news station. And uh, their perspective of what's going on around the world is, is a little bit different. And, uh, but they had the, this guy that they were interviewing whose life had just been turned upside down. And it turns out that uh, he'd, he'd been in the, in the sea wandering away from everything and lost. He was brought up Jewish in uh, an Orthodox Jewish home. And, and he went to, the, to the, the Reformed group and asked them, Explain God to me. And they said, oh, God, that's the myth. The Old Testament is the myth. Da, 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 da. And, and he says, well, that's not what I want to hear. And he went to the, to the, the, the Orthodox and he said, explain Jesus to me. We don't talk about Jesus. And so he, he went to a, a church where there was a, a Messianic Jew speaking at a Baptist church. And, and, and he went there and he heard for the first time where it connected. And he says, I'm not sure about you, but he says, Old and New Testament are kind of hard for me because I read the, the Old Testament and I turn around and it's the same thing. Oh, this goes with that in the New Testament. It's all connected. They're not two separate books. They're two separate eras of time and how God was ministering, but they're tied together. They're one big volume of interactive words together explaining who God is and what He's done. And I got so excited listening to him. you know, And, and so... You know, we get that picture of, 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 you know, we've got the Word of God. It's, it's there to, to direct us. And, and Paul says we're in, a, in a, a terrible turmoil within the framework of the world. We have the flesh, and, and, and that's what it is, it's fighting against the Spirit. I delight in the law of God in my inner being, he says, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. In other words, I tend to yield and satisfy the flesh rather than seeking to satisfy the Spirit and my relationship with God first. Wretched man that I am. And the idea of wretched here means miserable, lost, out to sea, (laughs) with no hope. Wretched man that I am. I'm a sinner without hope. Wretched man that I am. Thanks, uh, you know, who will deliver me from this body of death? In other words, and he's not talking about the ultimate picture of salvation. He's talking about his day-to-day walk. Who's going to deliver me from my yielding to this? Who's going to deliver me from this battle? Who's going to to come alongside? Who's going to rescue me? And then he answers the questions. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but... With my flesh, I serve the law of sin. In other words, this battle rages on. But one thing I can be sure of is I recognize that God is in my life and He's sovereign over my soul and my soul is is to Him and my mind desires to seek after Him. He can rest assured with the next verse coming out of chapter 8. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he rests with that confidence. And then he goes on to explain all the joys that come with that. And ultimately, concluding the chapter with uh, those whom he is predestined, he is called. Those whom he is called, so he is justified. And those whom he is justified, he will also glorify. As I was going through this, I wrote down, I am prone to wander. I am not one for pastoral confessions from the pulpit. 
necessarily, but the, the, there is a reality in that. That song speaks to me. And I battle, just like Paul says in chapter 7. And there are times where I say, wretched man that I am, what, what can I do? And then it's, oh yeah, Jesus Christ my Savior. I've been trying to fix this all by myself. And maybe God uses somebody in the body. Maybe God uses another pastor and a friend. Maybe He uses a... You know, God used Pat Boone on a religious program to lead me to Him in the first place. To get that point where I was ready to make a confession. And you know the story a lot of you do. I didn't care for Pat Boone. I thought he was a goody two-shoes. He took all the, 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 the raucous rock and roll music and redid it and made it mellow. And I, and, I, and, 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 and I didn't like that. I didn't like his white bucks. I didn't like the fact that there was an outrage when he kissed Ann Margaret in State Fair. And, and so, you know, I, I just thought it was crazy. And if that's what Christianity is, I don't want anything to do with it kind of feeling. So what does God do? He uses the testimony of Pat Boone and all that he went through as a believer and the times that he fell away and was out in the middle of the ocean drowning and how God sent somebody alongside. Well, what does God do? He sends Pat Boone to me. And I still am not a fan of watching him, but I am a fan of his faith. And I know he's had struggles, public struggles with his faith. And a lot of people have uh, abandoned him and said, oh, forget him. When he was out at sea, drowning. And he needed someone to come and rescue him. You see how important this is? Because it could be any of us. Am I prone to wander? Yes. But through Jesus Christ, as soon as I get as far out as He needs me to get in order to realize I need Him back in control. It's never the same thing. You, you, know, you want to go to help people. Be careful not trying to apply all the same rules and thoughts and things that you applied to someone else that maybe you've helped. Because we all have to get to a different rung level, a different spot of low, before He can lift us up. And, 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 and so don't assume. You know, If somebody rejects you initially, don't give up. Just wait for God's timing. It will open. He sends the rescuer. There's an article that I, I, I read uh, by Tim Chalice, who is a uh, pastor of a, uh, a Reformed Presbyterian church in, in Toronto. And uh, I, I read the article, and, 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 and he referred to an article written by a guy by the name of uh, Ricky Alcanta, uh, Alcantar, uh, who is a pastor in El Paso, Texas. And I went through these chains of, of, of things and it had nothing to do with planning for this sermon. But it all happened in this last week. And the article that I ended up focusing on was called Fighting Spiritual Drift. I don't have time to read it all to you because I took too much time on the other stuff. Uh, but it's about the song, Prone to Wander, Lord, I Feel It. And I thought, well, God's trying to get a message through to Bob Hapgood. You know? 
And I decided I'm going to, I'm going to put you in the same boat. Um, you know, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Ah, but God, man, I need a call. George, I thought out loud. <laughs> you know, I need to call George. He, he needs, he's having problems. I need to call him. That song has reminded me of that is what he, he's talking about. And he's, and he says, oh yeah, well, he hasn't been at church in the past couple of weeks and he hasn't come to hang out with the singles group. Uh, Josh said, well, wait, what? Wait, seriously, George? He's not doing all those things? Yeah, he's not coming. I was used to people missing out on events, but not George. Now, you know that I use the name George because there's not anybody else. And if you're, if you're visiting and your name is George, please forgive me. You know, uh, but... Uh, no one had seen or heard from George in weeks. I'd just come back from vacation and the weeks before that were filled with final exams and Christmas parties at, at school and I was trying to get my uh, bearings again and catch up with how people in the small group I had led were doing. He came to church last Sunday in December. I didn't get a chance to really talk to him, but he seemed fine. Just some issues he was dealing with. Family problems. I figured it was just the holidays and that he'd be back to normal soon. That Sunday was the last time I saw him for five months. He stopped coming to church, to the singles group, to our small group. He stopped returning phone calls. He stopped replying from replying to emails. He goes on to explain that finally the conviction fell on him that he needed to go and come alongside him. And, and the whole article is dedicated to that idea. That, uh, and, and, and he explains, he says, George was explaining to me, he felt like he woke up one morning and didn't want anything to do with God. He didn't want to read his Bible. He didn't want to go to church. It all felt empty for some reason. I found out later that at that time, George was beginning to have doubts, small ones at first, about what our church believed. The doubts grew as he, as he questioned more and more, even questioning God, then he became distrustful of the people around him and even people trying to help him. And he knew what he was supposed to believe but didn't want to anymore. But he didn't tell anyone because he didn't want to be embarrassed. The Bible started collecting dust on the shelf. The, the doubts grew. Sin began to creep in. And then he woke up one day and he didn't want anything to do with, with God. He, I, just don't, I, I can do this all by myself. Don't need the church. You know. It wasn't that he didn't believe that God was there. Just the, the way that he had been taught to, to approach God didn't seem to be working. The, Rick writes here, he says, Part of me was angry at George. I knew that I'd never, that I'd never do that. I thought. I couldn't understand what George was going through until I started. Until it did start happening to me. God has a way of bringing us to our knees so that we can help other people who have been brought to their knees. Again, He doesn't waste anything. I won't go into the rest of the detail other than that things got better. Okay? And Rick reached out to George and it turned out that George was able to reach out to Rick. And together they started to read the Bible together again. And they found their enthusiasm. And again, they came back into it at a different level than where they had been before. And it, and, and it was more meaningful than it had been before. 
second weapon of my sword. The essence here is, is what John, or James is, is driving for is that we are all prone to wander. And when we see one in this position, our responsibility, if God has opened our heart to it, just like he did with, in the beginning, where James, early in the, in the book of James, he talks about a person coming alongside who has, needs food and, and, and shelter and stuff like that, and you pray for them and say, God bless you, go with God's blessing, and don't do anything to help them that you have sinned. Now, the implication is, and the reader would understand this, that if, if you have the means in your pocket to minister to someone, that God has provided for you to be able to have the means to minister to someone, and they have a need that's legitimate, and you can see it, and you don't do it, you're sinning. Just plain and simple. And, and so, uh, here again, the same idea is, is if we see someone who is hurting, suffering, and at a distance, and God opens our eyes to it, our responsibility is to respond as best we can and not to give up. So we might spend weeks, possibly months, in prayer for this person before the door opens enough where I can talk with them. Or maybe God will bring someone else alongside them and it won't even be you. But you will have done the best you could and brought it before the throne of God to intervene and, and, to, and to bring comfort, strength, and new direction. So what are the church to do for those who have, have wandered? You go after them. Somebody says, well, they're going to lose their salvation. Other people say you can't lose their salvation. The bottom line is if somebody is in this distress, doesn't matter which camp you're in, you, go, you still go after them. <laughs> and the idea is, why do I go after them? To bring the joy of Christ. You go after them. Not by telling them how bad they are, by the way. But listening, listen to what Paul writes in Galatians chapter one, or chapter six, verse one and two. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, they've drifted. You who are spiritual should restore them in a spirit of gentleness. Spirit of gentleness. By the way, gentleness is the reflection of what gift? Love. The fruit of the Spirit. I believe when you read about the fruit of the Spirit, which is just previous to this, the fruit of the Spirit is, is, love, is, is love manifested in patience, kindness, gentleness, etc. And so, you know, that idea of, of coming in love, restore gently. And, 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 and Paul also adds a spirit of gentleness, but keep watch over yourself lest you too be tempted. Doesn't that sound like something right out of the, the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus says, beware about going to help people. You know, uh, you know, the, the, in fact, the good idea was to sit down before you go to help and make sure there's what? No logs in your eye before you go to take the speck out of someone else's eye. Have you ever thought about that, that passage? Why did Jesus choose Eye. And I don't have anything, you know, somebody said, I have eye trouble, me, myself, and eye trouble. No, that's, that's a different, that's not what he did with this. It's the most sensitive part of your body to touch. 
You ever go after an eyelash? Or a speck of dust? Maybe you've been fortunate enough to have a piece of metal stick in your eye. You don't take that out by yourself. You go to an optometrist or an ophthalmologist or somebody, you know, somebody that knows whatever they're doing is, is, is you know, better than I do. Because it needs to be done with precision and gentleness. And I thought I, I, that's important to understand here. Jesus is talking about this is a delicate, a delicate surgery of taking a splinter, uh, a speck out of someone's eye. And the problem is, is that we have so many in ours that, that, that need to be removed first. Now, by the way, who do we go to to get them removed? Maybe it's a, a fellow Christian that, that can come alongside you. But ultimately, who is it we go to to get them removed? It's through Jesus Christ, through prayer. And through reading His Word. Sidetrack. Too much. Restore gently, Paul says. And in order to minimize wandering, I need to follow Paul's advice from 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Taking my thoughts captive. If, if I am drawing most of the information and input from the world as to how I decide to make my decisions, then I'm influenced pretty much by the world and, and, and I'm not acknowledging God's sovereignty in, in His Word. Who should be the primary influence on the decisions I make? The culture of the United States of America, which has changed radically in just my lifetime? No. What's acceptable today was, was, was not even something you could talk about in public when I was in high school. And so we, we look at this and say, what's the source? You know, I need to take every thought captive. How do I do that? Through being around fellow believers who also believe that this is the Word of God. And by the way, we don't take it lightly here. This is God-breathed. Paul says to Timothy, it's God-breathed. This is the Word of God. He has given us this Word so that we can understand who He is as much as is possible from this side of heaven. And even at our best, we still see dimly. But we long for that day when we see clearly. Maranatha, come soon, Lord Jesus. So all of this, as we look at this, is that we, this is all done through us working together as a body of Christ, assisting one another, encouraging one another. It takes us back to Ephesians chapter 4. Say words of encouragement. Don't, say, don't talk about stuff that tears down. And by the way, that doesn't mean just in front of the person you're talking about, but it means talking about them behind your back too. You say words of encouragement. You know, husbands and wives, whatever you do, don't sit around with your friends and one of them pipes up and says, oh, my husband or my wife did such and such. Oh, yeah, my wife did that. You know, No. You don't talk about your spouse negatively anywhere to anyone. Somebody says, well, what if we need counseling? Okay, there's some exceptions. But in general... Our responsibility as believers is to lift each other up and never to tear each other down. And if you have a problem that, that with someone enough that you feel like you've got to tear them down, you have a problem that needs to be resolved according to Scripture and go to that person and work it out. And none of this is done in our own strength. 
Not in my strength, but in Christ who strengthens me. And all of this is possible to come to this conclusion is because Jesus Christ on the cross said it is finished. He went to the cross. The reason why He can fix my soul, the reason why He can direct even my flesh, the reason why He can put people across my path to, to, to come along and rescue me, and all the things that I've done. I look over my life how many times I've been rescued, both physically and spiritually. Where, and, and, and I'm amazed sometimes. How did that person know? God put him there at just the right time. Even the guy on the paddleboard. And as we, we look at this, we realize God is there. It's His strength, His desire, His sovereignty over our lives. And He is working it in such a way to bring us about to be strong in Him and to be walking with Him and to become the, 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 the outreach and the ministry to others at the same time. And so we are to show each other the, the love of Christ. In fact, Paul, uh, Jesus takes it far enough to say, people are going to know you're Christians by the way you love each other. And all of this, again, possible because Jesus hung on the cross, paid for our sins, to pull us into the kingdom of God as holy, even though we were not. We come through His holiness, His righteousness, imparted to us because of the words, it is finished. And the proof Bodily resurrection. Notice I said it. Bodily resurrection. Physical bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ on the third day. This morning we come to communion. We celebrate in communion, but we also use communion for a time of repentance, a time of asking God's mercy and His grace on our lives. And so as we uh, pass the emblems out, I ask that you hold them through the music uh, that song is, is sung a chance to reflect and, and think about uh, your walk with the Lord and if there's something you need to bring to Him uh, and ask for His grace, His mercy, His forgiveness. This is a good time for that. But it's also time of celebration. Because of the words, it is finished. We celebrate in our salvation His mercy, His grace that He's lavished on us.